From 1875 to 1883, there was a man named Charles E. Bowles, and uh, he was also known as Black Bart. He was a professional criminal that terrorized the Wells Fargo stage line from uh, San Francisco to New York. He, his name, Black Bart, was known uh, as, as a synonym for the dangers of uh, the western frontier. Um, he was known as this uh, gentleman criminal. He would leave these sophisticated kind of poems uh, when he robbed stagecoaches and he struck terror and fear into the, heart, into the hearts of, of many, many people and stole thousands and thousands of dollars. But I think that it's interesting as you look at this man, as you look at his, his, his professional uh, criminal career, his greatest weapon... It wasn't a gun. In fact, he never even fired his gun in, the in, in his entire criminal career. It wasn't horses. It wasn't uh, the people with him. His greatest weapon was fear. His greatest weapon was the fear that he instilled within the hearts of his victims. You know, we think about fear. Fear is something that's very common um, in the human experience. We, we fear things like spiders. We fear things like snakes. I imagine if there's a spider or a snake that crawled under your pew, what would you do? You'd probably jump up and scream and yell. I know I, I, know I would. We fear, uh, we fear failure. Uh, we, we, fear, um, we, we fear failure and we don't want to step out of our comfort zone. Uh, we don't want to... Um, uh, to, to try anything new, to try anything different. I'm obviously trying something different tonight, and it's kind of scary, so I'm, I'm trying to put this lesson into practice. You know, we, we fear what people, think of, what people think of us, other people's perception of us, and it paralyzes us. It keeps us trapped, and it hinders us from advancing and growing. Uh, we, you know, we, we fear um, what, uh, what will become of our kids, uh, sometimes we lay awake at night uh, thinking, what if, what if, what if my kid turns out to be this way? What if they abandon the faith? We fear death. We do all kinds of things. We take all kinds of vitamins and supplements and, uh, and, and do all kinds of uh, exercises within our life and, uh, to uh, prevent death. Uh, because uh, we're, we're afraid of it. So what's, what's the root of fear? What's the, uh, what, why are we so afraid? What's the root cause? What's the root problem of fear? Well, I think Jesus helps us with that when we look in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Jesus helps us to discover what the root cause of fear is. He says in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, 
was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus makes a connection here in our mind to fear and uh, the root cause of fear. He tells us what the problem is, the root cause of fear. Oh, you of little faith, a lack of trust, a lack of belief in the power and the work and the promises that God has made to you. That's the root cause of fear. It's unbelief. And the Hebrew writer also alludes to that in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Take care lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief leading you to fall away from the living God. Fear is one of Satan's greatest weapons that he hurls at you, that he throws at you, uh, that he he uses against you every day. Satan wants you to be afraid. Satan wants you to live with a spirit of fear. Satan wants you to be trapped and paralyzed by all kinds of fear. And that's because when you're consumed with fear, you can't possibly fulfill the purpose that God has created you for. You can't possibly live for His glory when you are living in fear. But our God... The God that we worship, the God that we serve, He knows this. He knows that fear is one of Satan's greatest weapons that He's hurling at us every single day, tempting us to doubt, tempting us to embrace this evil heart of unbelief. Um, God knows that living in this world can be terrifying. And that's why. That's why our God, by His grace and mercy and and love... He gives you the tools that you need to fight fear and place faith over fear. Now that's what I want to talk about briefly tonight from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Uh, Take out your Bible with me, if you will. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Let's look at verses 3 through 12. Now, remember in previous Bible study, uh, the book of 2 Timothy, uh, written by the Apostle Paul, uh, probably in a Roman prison, he writes to, uh, he writes to young Timothy uh, to uh, most likely encourage him. Uh, it, probably, uh, it was probably so that Timothy at this point in his ministry is starting to feel fear, starting to be timid because of false teachers, because of uh, negative influences, uh, perhaps, tempting him to feel shame, tempting him to feel shame that he was associated with the Apostle Paul and the gospel that he preached. And Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him um, to not embrace the spirit of fear, not be ashamed by by his opponents, but keep pressing on and keep pressing on with a spirit of faith even through opposition. And Paul gives uh, several reasons, I believe, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, reasons why Timothy should place faith over fear that will also help us in our life. So let's look at those together. Let's look at verse 3 
of chapter 5. Let's read verses 3 through 5 together. This is from the English Standard Version. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. As you look at the Apostle Paul in his writings, you see that Paul is a man without regrets. You know, there are a lot of people in their life, when they get to toward the end of it, they look back and they have regrets. They say, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done that. I wish I had lived life a little bit different. But that's not the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, when he gets to the end of his life, and most likely he's an old man, uh, he is, when, when he writes this letter to Timothy, when he gets to the end of his life and he looks back, he doesn't have any regrets. He doesn't have any regrets because he's faithfully serving the God of his ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of Elijah and Elisha and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and all the faithful Old Testament heroes of old. The same faith that they had, Paul now embraces and he's faithful to that, uh, to, to that mission. Uh, and so Paul alludes to the fact here that his entire ministry, it flows from his Jewish heritage. It flows from the Old Testament heroes of faith. Paul is carrying on the legacy of all of the patriarchs and all of the faithful men and women of old. And Paul believes here, I think he's alluding to the fact that he believes that his story his story, which is really very small and seemingly insignificant, he didn't live an incredibly long life, uh, probably. Uh, his story is very small uh, in the grand scheme of things. But what the Apostle Paul alludes to in this passage is that he believes his story, which is small, is connected to a much larger story that began well before he was even born and will continue well after he was, he's, he, he's gone on this earth. His short existent, existence is a part of a grander narrative that began before the foundation of the world and will extend into eternity. And Paul encourages Timothy in this passage. He's encouraging Timothy by helping him to see that the faith of his ancestors uh, as, as seen in, in Timothy's mother and grandmother. That faith um, of, of the patriarchs and all the Old Testament heroes that has gone through his family, that faith, that story, it now is a part of who he is, of his existence. Timothy's story, like Paul's, is connected to something magnificent, something well beyond him and in, in, in the life that he's currently living. Now, what does that tell us? How does that help us to place faith over fear? We can see that, of course, we have the same faith, don't we? We have the same faith of Timothy, of the Apostle Paul, and we can say the same thing. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, 
and all of the Old Testament heroes of old, we belong, if you embrace Jesus Christ, we belong to that same legacy. You belong to a story, to a grand narrative that's so much bigger than who you are in the present. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan, a plan of redemption, a scheme of redemption to save humanity and live in an existence, in an unadulterated existence where sin is no more, uh, forevermore. That was God's plan. And you, you in your tiny, seemingly tiny, small existence, you are a part of that story. You are a part of something so much bigger than yourself. And, 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 and I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of peace uh, in, in my life, you know, because I have, um, I have certain struggles, and I know you do as well. That tells me that uh, I, I don't have to climb the social ladder uh, within my life to achieve excellence, to achieve greatness. I, I, I don't have to be so concerned about the praise of others or, or, fear, or, or, or fear of failure. I can honestly say, I know who I am. I know who I am. I know who I belong to. And I know that I have a much greater purpose than myself and what I can see in the here and now, and it gives me so much peace and encouragement to place faith over fear, knowing that I belong to something so much bigger than me, and you do too. And that can help you as you place faith over fear. Uh, let's continue in our passage. Let's look at um, verse 6 of Second Timothy chapter 1. Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Anna and I like to go camping. Uh, maybe you have been camping before and built a campfire or uh, have had a, a bonfire or a burn party or, or something like that. Uh, but if you have built a fire uh, you know that to keep that fire going, you have to feed it. You have to continually fan the flame uh, so that that fire continues to grow. So it keeps growing. You have to keep throwing logs on the fire and, or things that will make it burn constantly. And it's only when that fire is neglected, when things aren't added to it, when, 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 you, when you neglect that flame, does it diminish. Does it grow weaker and weaker and weaker until it withers away, until it goes away into absolutely nothing? And that's the picture that we see here. That's the picture that the Apostle Paul paints in the mind of, of Timothy. Uh, Paul uh, says that he gave Timothy some kind of spiritual gift. Now, we don't know exactly what that spiritual gift is. Uh, it, it, the, the text doesn't specifically say. Uh, but it's implied that that gift that Paul gave to Timothy uh, by God, uh, it's growing weaker. It's growing weaker. And it's growing weaker. It's being, it's being neglected. And, and maybe, you know, perhaps Timothy 
is becoming more timid. Timothy is tempted to become fearful because of persecution, because of false teachers who who are mocking him, mocking Paul, mocking the message of, of the gospel. And you know, I think we can so easily in our life become like Timothy. That, that passion and that zeal that we had for Jesus in the past, that we once had, if, we, if it's not fed, if it's neglected, it can grow weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker until it finally just withers away into nothing because of life circumstances, because of all kinds of things. But Paul calls Timothy in this passage, he says, fan into flame. That's the picture. Fan into flame the gift that's in you, the gift that I have given you by the power of God. Paul is saying to Timothy, that gift, it's still there. It hasn't gone anywhere, but it needs to be fed. You need to feed that gift. You need to fan the flame so it grows and it grows and it grows. And that gives us encouragement as well. And here's why. Look at verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So Paul says here, fan your gift into flame, Timothy, because what God has given you, it isn't anything to be ashamed of. It isn't anything for you to step back from or be fearful of. He's given you a spirit of power, of love. And of a sound mind or discipline or self-control. And we can say the same in our life that will help us to place faith over fear. God has given us this spirit not that's not a spirit that's defined by fear, but a spirit that's defined by power and love and self-control. The spirit that has infiltrated you by the power of God when you were baptized into Jesus Christ, it animates you. It breathes life into you. It lives in you. Um, and, and, And that spirit is powerful. That spirit, as you fan it into flame and walk by the spirit and keep in step by the spirit, it gives you, he gives you confidence. Uh, It's such a, a, an amazing, uh, such, a, such an amazing thing when someone has confidence, when someone has confidence and, 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 and trusts that they are able to do something, then they're much more capable and much more likely to do that thing if they fully trust that they can do it. And Paul is saying that he gives you confidence that enables you to do extraordinary things in the sight of God. Um, he, he gives you the capability to love. To love God with all of your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he gives you the capacity that you need to resist. To resist temptation. To resist the schemes of the devil. We have that. We have those things. And all of those things, that, that, that gift uh, that we have through God, it needs to be kindled. It needs to be fed or it's going to wither away. If you're in Christ, you have that. Paul says, therefore, in verse uh, verse 8, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Apparently, if you read between the lines here, 
there's some kind of negative stigma uh, that's attached to uh, Paul because of his, because of his imprisonment. Uh, apparently there were false teachers there uh, that were accusing Paul of being a fraud because he was in prison. They probably said things like, you know, his message and everything that he says, it means nothing. It's a fraud. It's a fake. Because look at what it produces. He's in prison. He's suffering. I mean, the, 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 what he's saying isn't true because if it was, then he wouldn't be suffering in the way that he is right now. Look at how weak he is. Look at how unstable he is. Everything that he stands for and the gospel that he preaches, it isn't right. It isn't true. And these false teachers are trying to make Timothy feel uh, ashamed, ashamed of being associated with the Apostle Paul. They're probably telling Timothy things like, why are you hanging around this guy that is suffering and has demonstrated that God is not with him? Why are you associating with him, him Timothy? That's probably the pressure that he's, that he's feeling. He's being tempted to feel shame for the Apostle Paul, but not only of the Apostle Paul, but the message that he preaches, the gospel that he proclaims. And, and that begs the question, I think, what, what is shame? What is shame when we think about it? Uh, oftentimes we associate guilt and shame uh, together. Uh, we, we, we use them as, as one and the same, but, but they're, they're, they're very different, I think. Guilt says you've done something wrong, but shame says you don't belong. Let, let me say that again. Guilt says you've done something wrong. Shame says you don't belong. What the false teachers are doing here is that, is that they're saying, Timothy, you don't belong with us in our group, in our camp, in our circle. If you keep hanging out with this Paul guy and the gospel that he preaches, that's the pressure that he's being tempted uh, to, to feel. And you know, I think there's a lot of application here that's very similar to the way that false teachers in our world today uh, try to pressure us and shame us into uh, giving in to their teaching. They, the false, false teachers of this world try to shame us into submission. Unless you become like us, unless you embrace our worldview, unless you embrace our idea of what is right and wrong and good and evil and true, then you can't be in our circle. You can't be in our sphere. You will be canceled. Uh, essentially. Um, if, you, if you even claim that homosexuality is uh, not a legitimate lifestyle to live and is not pleasing in the eyes of God, then you can't be in our circle. That's what the same thing that's happening to Timothy happens to us in our culture on a daily basis. Christians, and, and I think it's going to get worse uh, Christians are shamed into submission to embracing cultural ideologies and into embracing all of these teachings that are not in accordance with, with, the word, uh, with, with the Word of God. But the fact is, and what we see in this text, what Paul wants Timothy to know that helps him to place faith over fear, the fact is that 
God himself, when you trust in him, what he does is that he, he gives you strength to endure. He gives you strength to endure the suffering of the shame that the world throws at you. Uh, and, and, it's, and, and it's in times when you reject the shame uh, of, of the world. Do you reflect uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy set before him, he despised the shame and he endured, uh, he, he endured the shame of, of the cross. Um, so how, how, can we, how in our life can we place faith over fear? We can know for certain and we can trust that we have the very power of God that will help us face the shame that's put on us as Christians, as faithful servants of Jesus that want to obey the Word of God, that want to do what He says. We have God's promise that He'll strengthen us when times of persecution come if we trust in Him and if we remain in Him. That's what Paul says to Timothy and what will help us as well. Let's continue in our text. Uh, there's God will give you strength to suffer. The world tries to shame you. Uh, verse 9 in chapter 1. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Uh, this is another way, I think, that the, that the majesty of the God that we worship and serve is revealed. Uh, God Himself takes the initiative to redeem you and give you life. That's the kind of God that we're talking about. That's the kind of God that we worship and serve. God takes the initiative. God goes on the attack to give us life, to give, to give us healing, to give us redemption. You didn't save yourself. You didn't do anything that could add to the work of Jesus Christ and that could earn your way into, into heaven. Nothing that you could have done in life uh, could possibly earn favor in God's eyes. But because God is a God of grace and mercy and compassion, He takes the initiative... He goes out of His sphere into our world, takes the initiative to redeem us and to give us life and to give us healing. That's the kind of God that you worship. And of course, we have to respond. I'm not saying that we don't. We have to respond to His, um, His, uh, His conditions of salvation. Uh, hear, repent, believe, um, confess, be baptized. We have to make a faith response, uh, but our God works to save us, and He consistently and constantly works in our life to make us new, uh, to make us, uh, to transform us into a new creature, into a new creation, and that will help us, as it helped Timothy, to place faith over fear. Moving on in our passage, it says in verse 10, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. What did He do? Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle. 
and a teacher. When Jesus Christ rose from the grave on the third day, he defeated death forevermore. He gave us a, the, the promise, uh, the opportunity of one day rising from the grave, from the ashes in like manner as he. He abolished death, he defeated death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to allow the fear of death, which is sometimes so uh, all-encompassing and, and, and plagues us every day. We don't have to allow that fear, the fear of, of withering away and dying, to take us captive, to control us and, 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 and place us in a cage. That's the way Satan wants you to feel. Satan wants you to be petrified of dying. But because of Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, we can live in a state of inner peace. He's given us life. He's given us immortality that's been brought to light through His gospel, through His good news. And that's a reason that we can place faith over fear. And then lastly tonight... In verse 12, it says, which is what Paul says, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Again, Paul is a man that doesn't have regrets. Um, he looks back on his life and he knows Who's, who he has placed his trust in, who he's placed his faith in, and he's convinced that God is going to guard every promise that Jesus has made to him until that day, until that blessed day when Jesus comes back and fulfills those promises. Paul is fully convinced that that will happen and is fully convinced that as he remains faithful in Jesus, Jesus will guard every promise that he has made to Paul and to Timothy. And that helps us. That helps us when we live in this life of uncertainty and instability and we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. You know, we're going through uh, uh, several wars in the world right now, all kinds of crazy things you see happening in the news. Uh, you, you, can, you can very well throw your hands up and say, what's next? <laughs> but because of Jesus, because of everything that he's done, as we remain in him and as we stay in him and as we trust in him, he takes those promises of life, of salvation, of redemption, and he guards them. He guards them for you. He locks them away so that every single thing that he has promised to you will come about with 100% certainty as you remain in Him. And as we live in this world um, that's filled with fear, we can place faith over fear because He guards His promises to us as we trust in Him. So fear, fear and shame are one of Satan's greatest weapons that he hurls at us, that he throws at us. He, Satan wants you to feel fear. And when we shrink back in unbelief, which is the root cause of this fear uh, that, that we have, Satan wins. 
But when we use the blessed resources, just a few of them that we've talked about tonight that God has given to us and we place faith over fear, we become vessels of God's almighty glory and we point people to the grace and mercy and glory of Jesus Christ when we place faith over fear. Tonight, if anyone has need, uh, if you need to obey the gospel uh, or uh, repent of, of your sins and make, uh, make that known in your life, the invitation is extended to you as we stand and as we sing.